When the bad things happen or the pain happens, the 25-year-old me would have said, you know, why Jesus? Why me? Take this away from me. I think now I'm at a place where I say to myself, everything is God's will. And there is that good that's going to come from this. Welcome to the Resilient Faith at Work podcast, insight and inspiration to thrive at work. I'm Ken Kennard, and I'm joined by Dr. Chip Roper and Sarah Evers. This episode features our conversation with Catherine Flax. This conversation was recorded on October 22nd, 2020, and we're delighted to have her here on our podcast. Chip, tell us more about Catherine. Yeah, Catherine is a managing director at CRA Incorporated, where she provides leadership coaching to executives in financial services, fintech, and commodities. She brings decades of experience in strategic growth, talent development, and regulatory affairs. Prior to CRA, Catherine was CEO of Peffin, the world's first AI financial advisor. She also served as the managing director and head of commodity sales and trading for the Americas at BNP Paribas and was the chief marketing officer of J.P. Morgan. Catherine has won numerous accolades, including Most Influential Woman in European Investment Banking and was named one of the 100 Most Influential Women in European Financial Markets. A longtime champion of diversity, she served on the Inclusive Leadership Council and the Diversity Councils for J.P. Morgan. Catherine has a bachelor's degree in economics and finance from Texas A&M and a master's degree in economics from Brown. She lives in New York City, and she and her husband have three sons and one beautiful granddaughter. Sarah and Ken, as we bring Catherine in, what will you be listening for? I'm listening for her suggestions about how leaders can move forward when there's very little within their control. Before COVID, our biggest leadership challenges were organizational threats, demands, and opposition. And one day, the pressure of leading through a pandemic will lift. Whatever the future holds for us, I want to hear Catherine's tips for navigating through it. Um, for me, I think this COVID season has put me perpetually on edge. You know, even in healthy times, I may not be the nicest person, but I've noticed myself being on edge more often since the pandemic started. And I also see it with people I work with. I'd like to hear her wisdom on dealing with this low grade fever I'm experiencing at work, especially from a leadership perspective. For me, I think one of the major questions COVID raises is this, why do bad things happen? And it's a philosophical question. It's a theological question. My guess is that a resilient person like Catherine has given this question a think once or twice. And I'm looking forward to hear what she has to say, what she's concluded. So let's hear her conversation with Sarah now. Well, Catherine, let's start by having you tell us what are you seeing in your clients these days? What are some of the, the trends you're noticing uh, among your clients? Well, you know, even in what you all were talking about, um, this idea that that what endurance looks like is a little bit different now than what it was at the beginning. And what I was reminded of when you guys were talking is the difference between dealing with an acute illness and a chronic illness. And, and it feels like that um, to me anyway. And so just as, you know, for, I mean, for those of us who do have some chronic illness, you know that you have to sort of change the the pace you have to change the way you eat you have to think about a, attacking life a little bit differently for the long run and and absolutely i'm seeing senior leaders thinking that way well it's an interesting um analogy of thinking it like a, like a chronic illness i hadn't hadn't thought about that before so um in what ways are you seeing your clients have to either 
lead differently or approach life differently or solve problems differently? Well, you know, and, and that's the thing is that when for senior leaders, um, part of what makes senior leaders good at what they do is that they tend to be very decisive and very action oriented. And, you know, we're, we're going to charge forward. And it's really hard to charge forward when you have so many things outside of your control. And in particular, just simple things like, hey, can everyone come to the office or not? Um, and if we make that decision, are we going to have to backtrack on it? So what I'm seeing some really good leaders do is be very open about here's what we know and here's what we don't know, and also reserving the right to get smarter and, and just being really honest about it and just saying to people, look, this is what I know now. It could change and I'll let you know if it does. That's an interesting idea that reserve the right to become smarter. Hmm. I like that phrase. You know, and I think, I think this is a humbling time for, for all of us, right? Um, but, but I think for senior leaders to recognize that um, this is just something unprecedented, changing our lives and our world in a way that, you know, they hadn't experienced before. Um, and, but, but showing that vulnerability and that humility balanced with optimism um, is, is a really good recipe, I think. Yeah, there's something about leaders needing to lead with optimism and hope, right? To, to inspire people to move forward, even when the landscape is constantly shifting or um, because people are so disoriented, I think it gives, it gives them a firm foundation. It, it, it's so critical. And, and the thing is, is that there always is a message of hope. I mean, you know, as believers, we believe that we live in a, a world of hope, but as a leader, you have to find that nugget that you can put out there and say, you know, I may not know everything, but here's what I do know, or here's why I believe in you, or here's why I believe in our company. I completely agree that um, leading with hope, giving your, uh, your staff something exciting, something to look forward to, so, some sort of um, reality to hang on to. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it has to be done with, with honesty as well. I mean, you, you know, the, people aren't going to want to hear a bunch of nonsense and platitudes, but, but there always is something that's true that is hopeful. Yeah. Oh, I really like that perspective. I really value that. Well, we were talking about how resilience has shifted, um, at least in our, in our viewpoint, it has where resilience in March and April looked like flexibility and adaptability and now resilience is sort of this endurance game of hanging in there and moving forward. So you have incredible experience as a board member, as a CEO, as a CMO, now as an advisor to people doing some of those very similar roles. Um, and you're also a parent um, and a grandparent. I'd be curious uh, as you look at your por portfolio of work experience and family life, um, how is resilience showing up for you personally and professionally? Um, it's, a, it's a really good question. Uh, and I do think that it's, it's evolved some over the course of, of this time. Um, but I think in, in some ways that probably I wouldn't have anticipated. Um, I, I will say that um, as we, you and I were talking earlier about being box checking kind of people, I'm, I'm totally a box checking kind of a person. Um, but putting at the top of my list, 
um, prayer every morning. Um, and it's not that prayer wasn't a part of my life before. Of course it was, but, but making sure that given the situation, given the way the world is, that my feet aren't hitting the floor in the morning until I'm really, really spending a chunk of time focusing on prayer. And I think for me, that's been really, really critical. Um, the other thing that I've not been very good at over the course of my life is starting the day with exercise. Um, and so, after prayer exercise um, has been able to, you know, allowed me to maybe start the day feeling a little more refreshed um, and a little more in control. Um, I think that what we've seen is this control is an illusion. Of course, it always was, but now we now we know it is, right? And so, um, but starting off the day with a little bit of something like I don't know much, uh, but you know, I know who's in control, and and I'm going to also kind of feed my body a little bit. Both of those things have been really important for me. Mm. What are some things that um, you've seen in your family, things that you've done as a family to sort of build this resilience and connection? You know, it, it really has been a blessing in a lot of ways. Uh, and so I have, I have three children, two are grown um, and, and don't live at home any longer, but I have a, a teenager at home. And uh, particularly in the spring, uh, it was really such a blessing to be able to play board games. Um, you know, we have a stack of board games now that sits in our dining room. And every, I mean, literally every day we played a game of Monopoly or Settlers of Catan or a Hand of Bridge or something like that as a family. And, and really, when does that ever happen with a teenager? When do you ever have time, right, to do that every day? Um, and so what a gift. And so that was, that was amazing. Um, and then with the people who are farther away, regular Zoom family calls, which of course we could have been doing all along. I mean, you know, why not, right? But who would have thought, I did, it never occurred to me to do that. And now, you know, we watch movies together as a family on Zoom. And, and so technology has been an, a, a huge gift in this whole thing. Yeah, it sounds like you've embraced technology and you've also gone old school with the board games. All good, right? And, you know, the little things too, like we're, we really like to cook a lot. Um, but my teenager has, I, I, I'm going to brag on him for a minute. He cooked me dinner tonight uh, because it's been a great, like, you know, he's home. What is he going to do? He's bored. So he, like, he's done a lot more cooking and stuff, which is super cool. Yes. You might be raising a chef. Who knows what, uh, what things will come out of COVID. I know my family, we've played a lot of the, the card game Exploding Kittens. Has that made it to your board game list? I really don't know. I'm writing this down. Exploding Kitten. Exploding Kitten. It's a, it's a card game. Um, and my eight-year-old, we've discovered that she is incredibly strategic. That kid. It's just, she's a competitor. I know. I'm so proud of her. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Exploding Kitten it is. Well, you mentioned, Catherine, how prayer has become a lot more... Um, foundational for you. It, it, ha it had been a part of your life before, but now your feet don't hit the floor until you're prayed up, right? You get spiritually fit and then you get physically fit and then you dive into your work life. So tell us a little bit more about how your faith is informing your viewpoint on COVID and how you're handling adversity. Sure. Um, well, well, I do think that intentionality um, becomes even more critical. And so, yes, there's the morning prayer, but I think also finding other places. You mentioned faith and financial services. That's my Wednesday morning go-to. Um, I have a, a prayer group. That's my Monday night. I have a, a Bible study. That's my Tuesday night. And so really being way more intentional about where that fits into the schedule um, and, and just making sure that that's there has been absolutely critical. Um, but I think the other part of it, which I'm, I really appreciate, is um, this, you know, really uh, living the experience of 
uh, you know, being in the storm and knowing that, mm. that Jesus is in control. And so, you know, the, the, the boat might be rocked by the storm, um, but really resting in knowing that I never was in control anyway. Um, and now we get to see that that's the way it is. Um, and, and really appreciating the beauty of that, I think is something that is, is a good reminder. We'll get back to our conversation in just a minute. But first, Sarah and Ken will share a bit about the transforming power of executive coaching. Ken, do you remember when you first hired an executive coach? Yes, it was one of those times when I could feel the seasons changing. It wasn't the old season, and yet it wasn't the new one. Something new, though, was coming. My work responsibilities were ramping up, and my role was shifting from managing the work to leading the organization. In addition, Jennifer and I were expecting our fourth child, and my roles of father and husband were expanding as well. It seemed I was leading everywhere, at church, I was leading a book club, everywhere I go, it seemed like I was in this leadership position. I remember just feeling anxious that I was not prepared for the challenges ahead. That's when I hired a coach who dedicated time and expertise just to helping me navigate this new season. Hmm. So what was the coaching like? Well, at first, it was a new experience for me because uh, he asked me lots of powerful questions and he challenged me to get clear about my values. And uh, together, we developed a plan for moving forward. Uh, The result was that I was much more in touch with who I am and who God was calling me to become. Years later, I've been through many seasons of change and I still have a coach. And now I find myself on this team of executive coaches right here at VOCA Center. It sounds like coaching is now an integral part of helping you get clarity as you lead. Likewise, we want to provide that same clarity for you, our listeners. When you find yourself in need of support, challenge, or insight for your leadership, then it's time to invest in coaching. Whatever season you find yourself in, we're here to provide a safe and empowering space for your development. To get started, sign up for a free consultation and we'll craft a coaching plan together. You can sign up at vocacenter.org slash coaching. Now back to our conversation. Yeah, so, um, you know, how long have you walked with the Lord, Catherine? Um, About 30 years. Okay. So what shifts have you seen um, in in your walk with the Lord over those 30 years? And how is COVID playing a role in that? Sure. Um, well, you know, so I was in my mid twenties when, when I, I became a Christian. And so, you know, like all baby Christians at the beginning, there's a lot to learn. And, and I think that, you know, in, in the way that life teaches you um, often is through adversity and, and also the closeness um, and the reliance um, on the Lord becomes a lot more evident um, in times of crisis. And so, you know, through my life, you know, whether through, you know, loss of, of loved ones or illness or whatever it's been, um, those have all been moments to, to really draw closer. Um, and I think that, you know, what, what has really become paramount for me, um, and this whole situation has been part of that, I guess, too, is, is just really focusing a lot on the, the, the pain and suffering of Jesus himself mm-hmm. and how he, we can draw closer to him in our pain and suffering and, and, and the beauty in that. Um, and, and the, really the, the, the peace in knowing that this isn't heaven here, wasn't meant to be, right? That's not where we are. Amen. We have a lot to look forward to and, and, um, and going through the things that we go through here gives us 
you know, an eensy beansy little thing to see of, of maybe some of the suffering that he did on my behalf um, and, and just appreciating that gift that we've been given so freely. Um, and so in a way, the challenges and the difficulty and stuff, that's a gift too. Yeah, you mentioned um, connecting through um, the beauty of pain and suffering and appreciating beauty. And I think I have just lived life at such a fast pace that 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 hasn't even been in my in my mindset to think about appreciating the beauty of pain and suffering and connecting to Jesus as the suffering servant or um, as the one who suffered for us. Um, you know, help help me here. What what would you? How would you recommend or um, advise me to 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 tap into that aspect? When the bad things happen, or the pain happens, or the hurt happens, or you know, all the things like that. Um, and maybe this is part of, you know, what it looked like when I was 25 versus being 55 is the, the, the 25 year old me would have said, you know, why Jesus, why me take this away from me? Mm. You know, and, and it's not, a, it, it's totally fine to ask for that. There's nothing wrong. You know, it's like going to your parent, you ask for that. But I also, I think now I'm at a place where I say to myself, um, everything is God's will. It, there's nothing in this world that's outside of his control. It's not that he overlooked me. It's not that he doesn't see me. It's not that he's unaware that this pain is happening. And there is that good that's gonna come from this because I love him. Um, and so just like, you know, whatever lessons it is if, if, if that your child is learning that can sometimes be painful and difficult, but you know, you know, studying for that test might be something they don't want to do and they'd rather you know go watch tv and eat ice cream but it's really what's good for them um and there's something in it for them and and just really having that trust and so i, I think what it is for me is was in that moment of pain just remembering that mm -hmm. this is an opportunity to be thankful and grateful and to ask god what is it that you want me to grow in in this how can i become more holy as a result of what's going on here. And so a lot of it is just a mindset shift, but also it's, it's yeah. kind of, I guess what I'm asking for now is just different than it was 30 years ago. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is. Because how many of us just naturally think to ask um, for greater depths of holiness, right? Uh, uh, I read a book that talked about what if God's plan wasn't to make you happy, but to make you holy. Um, and sort of flipping that the story on its head that, right, as Americans, we want to be happy. Um, totally. Exactly. And I think, I think the cool thing about that is I, I really do believe that the holier you are, the happier you're going to be. So it's like this virtuous circle, but it's the seeking of holiness before happiness that makes you happier anyway. Oh, oh, I got to put that on my, put that on my wall. Um, you know, my, my mornings, I've noticed that in my walk with the Lord, with, with COVID, things have just sort of shifted. I, I, I don't know if it's because of COVID or because of where I am in life, but now um, I just put the Bible, audio Bible on, and I just, I just sit and listen and meditate on it, where before I was an avid studier. Um, uh, but even having, having those ideas of, of um, moving towards holiness, embracing the season as, a, as an invitation to holiness, that's a, that's a challenge. Well, and, and I, I have to give a plug for Faith and Financial Services because we always start with listening to scripture, that audio scripture. Mm -hmm. um, and I do feel like there is something about the hearing um, and also the hearing in community um, that's so powerful. And so anybody is welcome. Um, we can share that information, but it's, it's a very, it's a wonderful thing for me. 
Well, speaking of um, wonderful things or, um, or maybe things that are full of wonder, hmm, this is a season of COVID and faith and politics. I mean, there's another political, the last political debate um, is tonight. So I'm curious, what is it like to lead? Um, what are you seeing in this COVID politics faith storm? You know, I, I do think that part of the, um, the, the, the turmoil that we're experiencing, and I mean, yeah, I, I don't know where all the listeners are physically, but, you know, certainly here in New York City, we felt um, at, from time to time the, the, the social unrest as well as obviously the COVID shutdown. Um, and, and I think part of it, actually, there's, um, there's similarities, I think, in terms of what our opportunity is as Christians to respond to all of this. Just like with COVID, not everyone has had the same experience. You mentioned earlier, people who you know, could be very lonely, whereas there are other people who are like, this is amazing. I have time with my family that I never had before. And just being respectful and sensitive to that difference um, and taking an opportunity to listen first um, and maybe not be too harsh in response I feel like that kind of carries over to the social unrest as well. I mean, I, I, I am blessed with friends and family that cover the political spectrum. Um, and I think, I mean, I have my own strong views on things, um, but I do feel like it's an opportunity to, uh, to love people a lot um, and, and to lead with that. And I think that it is an opportunity for the world to see what our faith can look like. And even if we disagree with people, and even if we're, you know, we find ourselves in a spot where, you know, we're, we're put on the spot of like, well, what do you think about this? You can still answer in love and you can answer in truth and love. Um, and so avoiding the um, heated, ugly unpleasantness that has unfortunately, you know, been a feature of our world. Yes. But also just understanding that everybody is coming at it from a different place. Um, and, and, you know, wherever our place is, we may not really entirely see why they're coming at it the way they're coming at it, but but just being kind, I think, is is a real opportunity for us right now. Oh, kindness in a time of um, there's a, a lack of civility out there in the public space. I think kindness is radical. And and sometimes the unpleasantness can come our way as Christians, and it's an opportunity for us to turn the other cheek and and shock people with Jesus. Mm. Oof, oof. Shock people with Jesus. <laughs> I'm feeling my inner Pentecostal coming out. <laughs> well, um, Catherine, I would love to hear a little bit about your perspective on how we can help colleagues um, and friends who seem like they're on the edge, right? That this COVID season is elongated, longer than most people would have predicted back in April, May, and June. So. How are you finding ways to help the people who report to you, the people that you advise? Um, how are you helping those on the brink? You know, I, I, I think that that starting with listening is, is really important um, and, and getting to that point of recognizing, again, that everyone's coming at it from a, a different place. Um, but I, I think, too, that that um, ability to not sugarcoat, um, but, but maybe help people find small wins can be helpful. Um, you know, ways in which somebody can maybe move the ball forward just a little bit. Um, and cause I do feel like there's a, I, I've certainly have encountered a lot of people in the season that feel very stuck. Um, you know, and so 
being able to, to really hear what somebody is looking for, whether it's in their job, whether it's in their family, um, and, and then, you know, being able to brainstorm a little bit with them about a, a, a baby step, you know, even, even if it is just, you know, how do you start exercising um, and, and, you know, move differently um, or, you know, people who are looking for work right now, it can be a really challenging time, but what are some of the things you can actually do that can just move it forward? I think momentum for people right now is really important. Yeah, I love that, that small steps, helping people get a little bit of traction. You know, when you're stuck, in some ways, people think they need to have that giant leap forward to get where they want to go. But really, it's, a, was it Eugene Peterson says, a long obedience in the same direction? That's right, exactly. Catherine, one of, the, one of the things you said kind of struck me, you mentioned it twice, you talked about beauty, the beauty and the suffering and appreciating beauty. And... Um, I'm wondering, like, how are you accessing beauty now? And can you talk about the impact that beauty is having on your resilience? Sure. Um, and I, I do think that there have been times in this season that have been challenging um, because for months and months and months, we were in our apartment in New York City. So it wasn't like there was a beautiful scenery or anything like that that we could really appreciate. Um, but there's beauty in literature. I, I don't read a lot of fiction. I do read a lot of nonfiction. Um, but I've particularly focused on beautiful writings um, mm. in a way that I don't normally, looking for something different, just partly to stimulate my brain differently, um, but, but to find you know, things that, that I can read that would reflect somebody else's appreciation for the world in a different way. Um, my son and I started oil painting uh, really badly, really, really badly, but that's a bit of our attempt to try to <laughs> capture some beauty. Um, so I think, and, and now that we're a little bit more mobile, we've been going up, up into, into the, the Catskills and, and just being able to appreciate trees in a way that we wouldn't have appreciated and we never appreciated it the way that we appreciate mm -hmm. it now. And literally just sitting in nature and just being like, I can breathe here. It is so beautiful. Um, I, those are just some little things. And I think it really does boil down to the little things. You know, what, what kind of, what, what, like, where do you see things going? What, what kind of, what kind of more, I mean, I mean, what kind of challenges are leaders dealing with? You talked about the need for humility, giving ourselves permission to become smarter. Yeah. Almost sounds like maybe slowing down a little bit and just really kind of getting our bearings. But, you know, say more about that. Well, there's definitely some, some real COVID related themes for sure, where I think a lot of companies are really struggling with, you know, what does it look like to bring people back to the office? How quickly do we need to pressure people to do that or not? And, and when I say pressure, I mean pressure because there are definitely some companies that while they recognize that there's been a, an increase in most cases in productivity as a result of the lack of commute and all of those things um, and, and the uninterruptedness, all communications now are intentional. So there's nobody popping into your office and wasting 15 minutes of your time talking about what they did over the weekend or whatever. So people are getting more work done. Um, but the challenge for companies is what does that look like in terms of corporate culture? Um, what does that look like in terms of innovation and brainstorming and all of that? And so, you know, there's all, there's a, a real push pull going on in terms of what is this, what should this look like going forward? Because of course, for a lot of companies, there's a huge attractiveness about being able to ditch a lot of real estate um, and actually have that go straight to the bottom line. So you know, companies are really trying to figure out for the long run, what is the best way to do this? Um, the other problem that, that I see quite a lot too is the issue of burnout 
um, is is bigger now um, than for a lot of companies than it was before because there's no barrier. Um, you know, people wake up in the morning to their computer, they work, and they and it just never stops. And and on, on the one hand, maybe in the spring that was a little bit of a relief for some people because they were like, look, I have nothing to do anyway. So I may as well just sit here and, and be amazing at my job and get it all done. Those people are tired now. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, like, they, and so like how to create at the right cadence of, you know, being able to, to work, but also create a barrier so that you can also, even if you're literally in the same room, you know, now it's work time. Now it's, it's, it's leisure time. That all hasn't been worked out very well for people. And so, those are some of the big things that I think people are struggling through. And, and I don't, I haven't seen any, I haven't seen any company that I think has gotten to the point yet of saying like, now we know how this is going to be. This is what we want it to be like. I haven't seen any companies that have sorted it out. What, I mean, what kind of things are you suggesting leaders do in the face of all that? Well, you know, I, I do think that um, trying to resist the urge to be definitive right now is a good thing. Um, I know it, for a lot of people, it feels like, well, we've been rolling with this for a long time and we want to end it, but, but ending it just because you want to end it doesn't make it actually end. Um, I mean, I saw this with my, my, my teenager, you know, he was in school, a rotating schedule, two days in the building, two days home. And then two weeks or a week ago, they, they basically said, you know, you have to now be remote the whole time. So with the best of intentions, things are going to slide backwards. And it, you know, it, this is just not something that any company or any executive is gonna be able to fix by edict. Um, and, and so recognizing that um, is, is, I'd say thing number one. Um, and, and then the other thing too, I think is being willing to experiment a little bit um, and, and test things out and let people know we're testing this out. This is not, a, you know, because I let you work from home when you want to, doesn't mean that I'm going to let you work from home because you want to for the rest of your life. Let's test this out or whatever it is they want to test out and, and kind of be willing to kind of put things out there like that and learn and see what's actually going to work. Um, it's not comfortable for companies at all to roll with things like that, but, but that, that is what I think is going to have to happen. Right. I think that's interesting. I mean, you're almost saying like, just, it sounds like you're saying live in the ambiguity. Well, you know, the reality is I don't think we have a choice. And so I, what I'm, I think I'm saying is accept that you're going to be living <laughs> in the ambiguity. Yeah, right? accept the ambiguity. And, um, and, and I think that um, things like, you know, how much of a competitive advantage will it be to allow people more flexibility to work from home? We think that it will be, but we don't know that yet. And so, you know, again, like, let's just, you know, and who's going to be positively and negatively impacted by that? I mean, I think there's a lot of concern about, you know, uh, for a lot of women who are staying, you know, who have kids at home, if they're staying at home, is that going to be like a step back in their career? I mean, it might be, it might not be like, who knows? So, so it's, I think we have a lot of speculation going on right now. So why not? Let's see how this evolves um, and and make decisions as we get smarter. Great, that's that's really I think that's really helpful. And there's a bit of reality therapy in your uh, in your your advice, uh, but I think that's I think that's I think that helps us understand um, the nature of of the place we find ourselves in. I think um, none of us were really none of us were alive during World War II. We weren't. We don't. People who were remember it being a time of great uncertainty. We didn't, I mean, Americans didn't even know if we would actually win the war. Like we can't, none of us can relate to that kind of uncertainty, but we're experiencing a certain, our own version of it now. And I think we, we don't necessarily have 
kind of the tools to even know what to do with it because we've never we've never felt it before. So I think what you're saying is really helpful. I've got a couple questions coming in here. Um, so David uh, David asks, you know, every day we're facing the the emotions of our coworkers and and sometimes this like levels of despair. And I think what he's asking is how much time do you spend dealing with sort of the personal side to sort of free them up to be productive? And like, how do you kind of balance that, um, that role? What do you think? I I think, I think the answer is more, um, more time than you used to, um, Mm -hmm. because people do have needs that need to, they probably always did, but I think people had been pretty good about hiding and compartmentalizing and, you know, putting on a face for, for work. And now that's a little harder for a lot of people to do. I don't think that means that we don't um, have standards. And I don't think it means that you don't, you know, require that people get on with their job. But I think taking a little bit more time to listen to what's going on with people, because I also do think that there's a missing piece here that, you know, if you were sitting next to somebody physically in the office, you would be able to detect their body language differently. You'd be able to see how they walk across the room and you'd probably be able to see like, wow, is that person, you know, depressed or are they, you know, dealing with something here? We don't get those cues. Um, and in, in some ways it's, it's actually really horrible. I, I read uh, recently that most um, child abuse cases are detected at school. And so the number of reported child abuse cases have gone down significantly because kids aren't in school. The number of kids showing up in the emergency room having been abused has skyrocketed. So to me, uh, it's, it's a horrible reality, but it also is indicative of what's going on at work in that we're not good at detecting the reality of what's going on in someone's life on a screen. Um, and so taking a little bit more time to try to understand where someone's coming from now, um, I think it's just really important. I think it's really good. And, you know, the personal check-in, you know, how you doing with a team or in with your individual reports is probably more important than ever. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a really good point. Uh, Matt, Matt asks, Matthew Lancaster asks, um, who's from Pittsburgh? Can all I right. Pittsburgh? David was from Indiana. So we're all over here. Um, Matthew asks, um, not everyone is good at living in ambiguity, ambiguity. He thinks Christians have some unique, uh, resources we can draw on in our faith. Uh, what do you, how do you, how do you be, what's a, how do you handle people who are really struggling with this ambiguity, which you may have touched on in some ways in your last answer, but what else would you say? Well, first of all, it's totally true, right? I mean, not, not everyone is good with, with dealing in ambiguity. And I think, I think acknowledging that ambiguity, I think is, is first of all, important. Um, and I think also being respectful of different decisions that people might make um, in, in the ambiguity. I have, I have a very good friend uh, who actually lives outside of, of Philadelphia. Um, and before the school year started, she decided to homeschool one of her children. Um, and, and she posted something on Facebook that basically said, everybody practice this. When somebody says, I've decided to send my kid to school full time, say, I really respect that you've really given a lot of thought to that decision. And when somebody says, I've decided to homeschool my kid, you say, I really respect that you've given a lot of thought to that decision. And no matter what somebody has decided is the right thing for them in this difficult situation, it's not, we don't necessarily have to agree with it, but being respectful of the fact that somebody is going through something and they're maybe dealing with it differently than we would deal with it, I think is supportive um, of what they're doing. And so supporting people is, I think, what we can do. You know, you've had a your career span several different de- you know several decades. You've been through 08, you've been through the tech bubble. Like you how when you look back on sort of some of these past 
cyclical things, um, comparing it to now, like what are things you look back on and say, well, this is always true. And this is one of those lessons we all just need to learn. And what, and what's unique about this? So, um, so what I definitely learned is that it's cyclical. Right. So, you know, I think, you know, when you're when you're young in your career and the thing, whatever the thing is that happened, uh, you know, whether Enron went under or it's financial crisis or whatever it is, that's the thing of the moment where everyone's like, oh, my gosh, like nothing like this has ever happened before. One thing we know for sure is that there's a thing that's going to happen in a few years that's going to be the thing that never happened before, because that's what always happens. Right. And so just getting that say that again like like really like, like, the thing that never happens is that is the thing that's going to happen because that's the thing that always happens or something right, like exactly that, right? one of the great things about getting older is that you realize that life in general and business in particular is a roller coaster um and if you you can't you can't get away from it right and it's that roller coaster thing that's normal and and certainly like even in, in like your personal life recognizing that when you have those boring times when nothing seems to be happening, when you get older, you know that you're like, yes, nothing's happening. Awesome, right? This is so great. <laughs> um, but when you're young, you're like, well, that's boring, but then the bad things happen. So, so anyway, um, I, I, think, I think just accepting that, I mean, I totally get that not everybody's good with ambiguity, but you know, life is life, right? And this is, this is what happens. I think the other thing too, from a business perspective, um, there's always opportunity. Um, whether it's opportunity on a personal level to connect differently with people, whether it's opportunity because, you know, you're counter-cyclical in your view and you think that there's something good to be done. I mean, I'm, I'm involved right now uh, with um, a private equity firm that's focused on um, distressed oil and gas properties. So talk about a counter-cyclical move, right? Um, but so there's, you know, there's, there's always interesting opportunities that happen when there's massive dislocation. Now, with respect to, to COVID, you know, what are some of the things that, that, that might happen? I mean, we've seen like big things changing in real estate, um, you know, where, where people are thinking about it differently. Um, so there's always things that are going to change as a result of whatever the big thing is. Um, and, and there's always opportunity around that. All right, guys, let's talk about takeaways. You know, for me, I love this idea of owning what we don't know and then giving ourselves permission to get smarter. As a leader, I know how tempting it is to just nod your head and act like you know what's going on. It's also depressing sometimes to think that we've somehow capped out, that we've gone as far as we can go. So this idea of giving ourselves permission to get smarter, to own what we need to learn, and then learn it, it's a wonderful marriage of humility and hope. And I think those are secrets to a productive future, no matter what the future holds. Wow, that's great, Chip. I, you know, something I noticed is when she was talking about the power of listening, and I was thinking that one way to apply that is just to sit with the person a beat longer. Instead of launching into my perspective or my response, just sitting with the person I'm leading a little bit longer and see what else they have to say. Um, I actually tried that last week with the person I was working with. And after sitting through a couple of pauses, I noticed they really opened up about what was really going on. And there was fear and anxiety and a desire for me to express hope in my leadership. And I, I felt like we really connected in a way that we just wouldn't have if I were so eager to talk instead of listening. Catherine offered another lens to view leading through COVID Viewing this prolonged pandemic as a chronic condition versus an acute illness crystallized something for me. 
when you deal with a chronic diagnosis, you reevaluate everything and start rebuilding your life with your biggest priorities in view. So this conversation feels like an invitation to hit reset and to reconsider my priorities. How about you? As you think of this episode, how can you strategically get smarter or listen more attentively or hit the reset button when it comes to the priorities in your life? Wrestle with those questions. Squeeze the value out of this great conversation we had with Catherine. You know, everybody wins when a leader gets better. You win, your team wins, even your family and friends win. But it is impossible to get better alone. Every leader needs someone safe with whom to process decisions and strategy. And every leader needs a trusted thought partner to sort through the demands and opportunities on their plate so they can create their best path forward. We deliver that space at VOCA through executive coaching. It's confidential, professional development tailored to your goals. So sign up for a free consultation at vocacenter.org consult to start the conversation with one of our trained, experienced, faith-driven coaches. Everybody wins when a leader gets better, so let's explore your better together. This interview was recorded in front of a live virtual audience, and you can be a part of that audience. Register to join us and shape the conversation with your questions. Sign up for the next live webinar at vocacenter.org slash webinar. We'll see you next time on the Resilient Faith at Work podcast, where you get insight and inspiration to thrive at work.